you yet, and uh, want to welcome you to Sierra Bible Church. If you're here, uh, there's a good chance that uh, either you love Jesus and you're here to celebrate, or it's possible that maybe someone invited you. In fact, over the last uh, this last month, we have these cards in the back. We've been praying for uh, several uh, individuals in our community, just people who've come to, to name, uh, whether they're family members or coworkers or what have you. And in fact, I, I've I've already been hearing some reports of. Uh, of God working through those cards. In fact, uh, an individual that's on our leadership team said, hey, you know, I put a name up on the board, and a a week later, I was able to share the gospel with that person, and they accepted Christ as their Savior. Uh, So that is really incredible that that God is on the move, and he's still in the business of saving people. Amen. Yeah, let's let's celebrate that. Um, I want to read to you just uh, from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, real quickly, uh, from Scripture. A simple verse, a few verses here. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we're told of this birth of Jesus. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered to do these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And she did call his name Jesus. In this Christmas season, we've decided, it's actually, you can see behind me the painting, which is an amazing painting, I believe. Just one of our guys on the team. It almost looks like a photo for me. Uh, we actually kind of thought about this idea a couple years ago, and so it's been in process since that time. And we've been praying about this kind of theme of behold and be held. And you can see behind me the hands that are behind me. And I, I, I really just want to think about God's hands and, and this reality of how God himself uh, pierced through the heavens to earth and what he did with his hands and what his hands do. Hands are a very interesting thing. Uh, I don't know, maybe a few of you this, uh, this evening could just take a look at your hands. Tell me what you think about your hands. Are they good-looking hands? I remember, actually, when I was a young, a young guy, I was, uh, some of you were laughing at your hands. That's good. And I, I remember when I was a young guy, I was riding in a car with my aunt and some of my family members, and, and I was right around that age where I was beginning to realize that girls didn't have cooties. I'm starting to realize right at that age that maybe I wanted to, you know, maybe get a little closer with them than what was normal before. You know, right at that age, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And I remember my aunt in the car, she was talking about a family relative of ours, uh, another guy about my age. He was a little bit younger. And I remember my aunt specifically talking about his hands. And she said about his hands, she says, have you seen, his name was Michael. Have you seen Michael's hands? He has a very attractive hands. He's going to be a very attractive guy when he gets older. And I was in the back of the car and I remember looking at my hands and thinking, oh no. <laughs> because I have pudgy little hands. I do. 
And, and, and as I was sitting there, and, and she was, you know, she must have seen me looking at my hands because she looked over. She probably doesn't even remember this. It was so long ago and so meaningless for her. But I remember her looking over at me and saying, oh, oh, you too, Jess, you too. Now, by God's grace, I am married because my wife, uh, you know, she's into heights, not hands. And, you know, being tall and handsome, she fell for me. <laughs> but hands are really interesting. In fact, when I think about hands and I think about God's hands and, and just the reality, because our hands, we're made in the image of God. And, and so as you look at your hands, there's some things that we could learn from our hands, but that are also scripture teaches. I know it may seem silly, but, but hands really are very complex things, right? And, and, and hands kind of show us two things, I think. They show us, one, presence, but they... They also show provision. There's something about hands that show the presence of another individual, the embrace of another, a, a handshake, the warmth of hands. In fact, several, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why this evening or today, but I've had several people tell me how cold my hands are today. Uh, and, 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 and I'm not sure why my hands are cold. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to share that there's something about what hands do. In fact, hands kind of do at least four things. They're, they are complex, they do create, they communicate, and they cure. Those are all realities of our hands, right? They, they are complex things. They do create. They do communicate. There's different gestures or hands. Or I'm using gestures with my hands now. And studies have shown that they have a healing kind of power. It's hands that heal. But as I sit here and I think of God's hands, and I think of Mary's hands who held that little child in her hands, I can't help, again, but to think of the provision and the presence that God brings with his very being. When we think of God and we think of Christmas, what is Christmas all about? Christmas is about God coming to humanity. Christmas is about the presence of God. It's about the provision of God. It's about God coming into your life and changing not only who you are, but changing the world itself. Christmas reminds us that God has desired to be present with his people from the very beginning. Right? It was man who first reached out with their hands, grabbed the apple in the Garden of Eden, and through the reaching out of their hands, sin entered into the world. And because of their nature and because of what they've done, you and I all suffer because of that. Right? There's brokenness in our world, and, and there's things that need healing, and there's things that need reconciliation. And, and, this, and this evening, I'm sure some of you have come with that hope that, that you would hear a message of God reconciling himself to the world, reconciling himself to you, reconciling himself to to those that you've been praying for. God desires to be with you. That's why when we find ourselves in the very beginning of the Bible, we see that humanity was meant to be in the very Garden of Eden with God, to walk with God, to know God, to speak with God. That was the original intent. But man kind of messed that all up with their dirty little hands, their budgy little fingers, if you will. But then throughout the Old Testament, you can't help but see that God is continuing to try to infiltrate into the presence of his people. In fact, if you remember, um, God actually told Moses, I want you to create a tabernacle. And the reason that he told him to create a tabernacle was that was so that people, the people of God would know that God was amongst him, amongst them. Right? So there was this whole tent that was made. He said, I'm going to lead you by by fire and night, I'm going to lead you by a cloud uh, during the day that you will know that I am with you. In fact, what's really interesting is there's a place in Genesis chapter 28 where God comes and tells Jacob, he tells Jacob this, listen to what he says to Jacob, look, I'm with you. This is what God told Jacob. And Jacob, Jacob's response, eventually he comes to this place where he says, surely the Lord is in this place 
and I didn't know it. That's my hope that that's not lost on anyone this evening, that the Lord is in this place and that you wouldn't leave here with him just being in this place, but that you take him home, that you take him with you. Uh, In fact, one pastor says, you know what's interesting about God is that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. I love this quote. It's from one of my favorite pastors. He says, at any given time, God's doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And some of you may not even be fully aware of that. Again, I don't know what your year was like, but 2023 was hard for me personally. One of the hardest years I've ever had. But I know that God has been sanctifying me, growing me in this season. He's been present in this season. He's been doing 10,000 things in my soul and in my heart in this last year. But what this pastor says, he says, but the reality is you and I might only be aware of three of them. I mean, do you know that about God? That he loves you so intently. He loves you so deeply and he wants to be present with you. In fact, in Isaiah 41, he tells us literally, fear not, I'm with you, don't be dismayed. I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And again, we know in Matthew, what is it that Mary was told? What was Joseph told? Name him Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which literally means what? God is with us. God is with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that when Jesus came, who is God, that he literally, we're told, he dwelt amongst us. And the language, the original language there is he literally tabernacled amongst us. He tented amongst us. He came to live amongst us. Isn't that unfathomable? Uh, I actually really enjoy how um, some of you know Max Lucado. Max Lucado says it like this. He was writing a book in his office, and he says, I was watching a family of black-tailed squirrels in my office, and I should be, I should be at this time working on my Christmas message, but I can't focus. These little black-tailed squirrels seem intent on entertaining me. They scamper, they watch me peck at my keyboard, I watch them store their nuts and climb into the trunk. We're both mutually amused. I could watch them all day, and sometimes I do, but I have never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? Give up the Rocky Mountains, give up bass fishing, give up weddings and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts? Count me out, but count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail, it's actually nothing compared to God becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary to then enter into, the, into humanity. You see, this mor- not this morning, I'm sorry, it's bad habit dies old, I guess. But this evening, God wants to share with you that his presence is available for you that you can be reconciled to God himself. You see, what he does is he says, not only am I with you, but I want to give you my Holy Spirit that will live within you, that you can be one with God. And, and his presence then enables us to experience God's guidance and his comfort and his transformation on a personal level that no one else can ever think or imagine. It brings conviction. It teaches us truth. It empowers us to live according to God's calling. God wants to give you all of that this evening if you don't have it. Because God wants to be present with his people. He doesn't want to be far off from his people. 
I mean, God is the one that took his hands. When Jesus walked this earth and he lived for 33 perfect years, what did Jesus do with his hands? But only touch the leper and heal the one who needed to come close to him, to reach out to the prostitute, to reach out to the IRS guy at the time and say, you should follow me and you should become a disciple of mine. And and then you should begin to preach the gospel. He reached out and touched the apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, who then became the greatest evangelist of all of the New Testament. God is in the business of touching people, changing their lives, making them new, and then giving them a new life. But then ultimately, what did Jesus do with his hands? But they were pierced for your transgressions. This once little child that Jesus held, that, that Mary held in her hands, this little baby Jesus, we're told that as, as she held him, she pondered all of these things in her heart. I'm sure she pondered the prophecies. She pondered the angels. She, she pondered what was going on probably in her husband's mind. Could you imagine the arenas in which he, he went and thinking, my wife is, is pregnant and wait a minute, it's from the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, my wife has God in her belly? How am I going to do this? And then he walked those 33 years of perfection and he touched all of those who needed to be touched and he healed those who needed to be healed and he's still in the business of doing that today and then his hands were pierced on your behalf and he took the wrath that you rightly deserve because of your sins. But none of that is enough to keep God. None of your sins is enough to keep God at distance or at bay. You see, as the story continues, we're told in Luke chapter two that in a similar region, there were shepherds out into the field And the shepherds at that time, just so you're aware, the actual religious Jewish people of the day considered shepherds unclean. They actually were looked down upon. They were seen as kind of the ostracized individual. They weren't somebody to be really hanging around because they had to work on the Sabbath. They had to care for their sheep on the Sabbath. And since they worked on the Sabbath, then they were alienated from God, distant from God. So what does God do? He shows up to the least of the least. He shows up to the shepherds and he shows them a star and the angels appear and they they sing to them and they praise God saying glory to God in the highest. And the angels begin to minister to these shepherds and the shepherds eventually say, we have got to go to Bethlehem. And they went with haste and they found that baby lying in the manger. And these ostracized men who worked out into the field, these men who were off in a distance, these men who had no relationship, finally were able to come and be reconciled to God. You know how I know this evening that many of you who may not know Christ need this message and you need reconciliation to God because the culture itself tells us that what we're in right now, this this is literally what the culture has said for us. The World Health Organization has said, guess what we're in right now? We're in the loneliness epidemic. The people have never felt more alone, more isolated than they do today. All of our social media, all of our Instagram, and all of those different things that are online have only separated us, isolated us. They've made different camps of different people groups. And because of this, all of us are suffering. In fact, the World Health Organization goes on to say that not only are are we lonely, but if you are lonely and you do feel isolated, that you are at 25% increase of risk of early death, 50% increase in risk in developing dementia, 30% increase in stroke, cardiovascular disease, and they say the health risk of being isolated and alone is comparable to daily smoking, excessive drinking, and obesity. All of these things are results from you not being connected to God. And this evening, God is saying to you, fear not, I'm with you, don't be dismayed, I want to be 
with you. It's funny how God works. I actually had, uh, as we were looking, uh, you know, studying this and working through it this week, I, I came across a, a documentary. I love documentaries. And and the documentary, an African-American lady was sharing the, the realities of what it is to be an African-American woman in the way that she grew up. And as so many of her sisters and so many of her brothers in her community grew up. And she said, really, what we have in our community is a, a full-on a full epidemic of, of moms who don't have husbands. And so many of Af- these African women, she was saying, are raising children by themselves. And she says, you know what the mantra is in our community for, for our ladies? And maybe it's a mantra you've heard for, for you. Maybe it's a mantra you've heard in your life. Be strong, be strong. And she was sharing how hard it is that, that, that for these, these women with these young little babies, having to raise these children all by herself and, and for other ladies and grandparents, and just, be strong, be strong, be strong. And, and then, I, again, this is just this week, and then she said, she said, but sometimes, sometimes someone just needs to tell you, be held. And that's what this Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. It's to elevate Christ on high, to hold him on the throne that he rightfully belongs on because he's the only perfect one. He did everything that's necessary for salvation. He has given that to us as a free gift, not because we can earn it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves humanity enough to do it. And so he came, he came to die for you, to give you his life because he loves you that much. You're important to him. Because not only do hands show us that God wants to be present with us, but it shows us that he wants to be our provision. He wants to provide for us. And there's so many different ways that God provides. You can see it in the New Testament, whether he provides for the feeding of the 5,000. Or even in the beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve find themselves naked and ashamed, God provides clothing for them. He's in the business of providing comfort for his people, providing grace for his people. How many of you this evening need the kind of peace that only this little child can give? Because that's why God came as a baby, by the way. Because hardly any of us can look at that child and go, man, that's intimidating. And I remember when my little daughter was born, she was born about a month early. She was about four or five pounds. She was this little teeny thing and I held her in my hands and I remember thinking by that time she was my third child. So I wasn't quite as scared to hold her. Right, because even though I say who can't, you know, who's afraid of a baby? Some of you are are like I was. You're afraid to hold a baby because you're afraid you might, you know, drop the baby. I remember holding her, seeing her preciousness, seeing the teeniness of who she is. That's how Christ came. Why did He come as a child? Not only to show His innocence, but to show that all of us have the opportunity to approach this baby without feeling any kind of fear or dismay. He came as a child that you can approach him and he came to give you peace, to provide for you not only your physical needs, whether it's clothing or or a home, a, a house over your head or a roof over your head, I'm sorry, but he also came to give you peace. That was the declaration to the angels, peace. You know what peace literally means? Without conflict. Do you know where the conflict no longer exists for those of us who have faith in Christ? We no longer at conflict with God but we're in relationship with God. In fact, what's really, really interesting, I came across this commentary saying, you know, rest, true rest, true peace 
comes from giving up control of our lives and following Jesus wherever his path may lead. And you may ask, wait a minute, you're telling me if I really want peace, I have to surrender my life, pastor? Yes, I am. But here's why. He says it like this. He says, think about going on a long car trip. Anybody take a long car trip here? Yeah, congratulations. Glenshire is not that far. (laughs) Actually, you're in Olympic Heights. Shame on you. It's okay. You can, you can explain later. I'm just kidding, buddy. It's the pastor's, one of the pastor's kids. Not my kid. One of the pastor's kids. Olympic Heights feels far away. I get it. Okay. How different is the experience of being a passenger in the car instead of a driver? Isn't it different? Especially if it's snowing. Right? You know the Star Wars drive on 80? Hyperspeed, white knuckling it, praying to God that you don't die as you go around the corner, knowing sure enough, especially if you're driving to Reno, there's about an 80% chance that a big rig rolled over at Floriston. You know what I'm talking about? It happens. Ask Ben. They live down there. Every year, 28 different car wrecks. It's different when you're driving and you're having to think and you're having to concentrate. But when you have somebody that you trust at the wheel, what's the drive like? Man, it's good, huh? You'd be like, we're driving to San Diego? C in 12. And then you wake up and it's like you've been transported, right? Poof. That's the kind of peace that God wants to give you. He wants to provide for you the access to no longer have to fight sin the way that you do, but to find an escape from your temptation. He wants to help you when you are hurting. He wants to provide for you the peace that surpasses understanding. He wants to point you to truth. He wants to supply the love of a father, the only kind of love that he can provide. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Timothy Keller when he talks about God's love. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. And to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Did you hear what he just stated? He stated that great reality of what everybody in this room ultimately wants. Every single one of you in this room, you want to be known and you want to be loved. And what Keller says is this, he says, to be loved, but not known. That's cool, but it's superficial. It doesn't mean anything. And he says, but to be known, that means somebody knows you. They know you're good. They know you're bad. That kind of love, when you know that kind of, that's our greatest fear, to be known and not loved. That is the worst thing anybody could ever experience. Someone says, I know you. I know the good in you. I know the bad in you. And none of it's right. None of it's good enough for me. I don't love you. That is earth shattering. That is earth wrecking. That is depressing. That is hard. But the rest of the quote and the rest of the reality of what's in scripture, but to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's what it's like to be loved by God. This morning, God wants to be present with you. He wants to provide for you. And he desires that you would know the kind of love where he knows your dirty little corners. He knows your dirty little secrets. He knows your mistakes. He knows how frustrating it was to get here this evening. He knows how hard it might be to even wrap the presents tonight. He knows how hard it was to provide for all of your kids the presents that they're gonna open tomorrow. He knows what your whole world has been like. And he says, all of that, I know all of it. I know your bad attitudes. I know the way you've cut people off. I know the way you've been selfish. I know the way that you've lusted. I know the way that you've lied. And here's the good news. Christ desires to know you and be with you anyway. That's the gospel. In fact, one particular quote that I have in here 
Let's see if I can find it here real quickly without having to. <clears throat> I put a big star by it so I wouldn't miss it. And, I, and now I can't find it. <laughs> Working on it. This is so silly. I, I marked this thing down. Go, oh, I got to. Here it is. I found it. To stand in the presence of God. To stand in the presence of God. That is what the gospel is. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's not just telling you what to do. It's not just telling you how to be a good person. That can't be the gospel. No one from this stage should say, guess what? Coming to Christ means that your whole life is going to get cleaned up. Because that's not the reality. No one's life is ever going to be perfect. But to be able to stand in the presence of God, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All those things are byproducts. They're sparks. But the gospel is primarily about the presence of God. God being present with you, God holding you, and God providing you in oh so many different ways. And as we get ready to close here in just a few moments and to sing some more amazing songs and to light some candles together, I want now to just say, okay, if you're here this evening and you want to know, what it, know how to have a walk with God, to, to know how to have a relationship with God, to have his presence, to walk with him, I want to share with you exactly how to have that. And I want to give you this evening, for those of you who haven't had that opportunity, in a very non-invasive way, I'm not going to put anybody in the spot, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ this evening, that you would know him for eternity. And this is how we become Christians, if you will. And that word Christians just basically means we're like little Christ. Christ is with us. It's just another way to say that we're always ever present with God and God is always ever present with us. And Romans 10.9 gives us the answer to salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you hear it? He says, says, the way to salvation isn't by attending church, though you should so you can grow in your faith. It's not about tithing. It's not about giving. It's not even about serving. It's not about being a good person. It's about acknowledging in your heart that God did what you couldn't do. None of us in this room have the ability to live a perfect life, but Jesus Christ lived that perfect life on our behalf. And that's why this particular scripture says that when one believes, he is justified. And justification means two things. The way I like to say it is it's justified, never done it, but it's justified as if I'd always done it. What do I mean by that? Justified means it's just as if if I'd never sinned. See, when I believe in my heart and I believe what Christ has done, God comes into my life, into my heart, and he covers me with his presence and his righteousness so that I am no longer seen as a sinner. Jesus sees me just as if I'd never done all those stupid things that I did in the past. Hallelujah. And it's just that when I make my mistakes tomorrow with my family, and I'm probably well, 
It'll be just as if I never had done it then. But it means something else because not only is salvation accessible by being perfect, but it's also by always doing the perfect thing. And none of us have always done the perfect thing. So it's not only just as if you'd never sinned. It's also just as if you'd always done the right thing. So Christ's life is counted as yours. It's as if you have forgiven those who needed forgiveness. It's as if you had reached out to the lost and the hurting and the broken, and you were the one who stepped into this world perfectly. God sees you the same way that he sees his son, because when you come to him in faith and you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, that is what salvation is. He goes on and says, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, this evening, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth and to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Savior so that you would know that God and God alone is the one who can save you. See, Jesus has done everything necessary for salvation for you. That's why it's my hope that every single one of you will take the advice of Buddy the Elf. Treat every day like it's Christmas. Because every day is a day where we recognize that his mercies are new every morning. Every one of us needs to rise up in the morning to say, Lord, thank you. You're good. You see, James also says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, God desires for you just to say, you know what, Lord? I see the holes in your hands. I see that your hand Your mighty right hand has the strength to save. Save me. And I want all of you just to do me a favor, okay? We're going to close just real quick here soon. And would everyone just bow your heads and your hearts with me, and I want to pray. Just a moment for us, one-on-one. Don't worry about anybody else in the room. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about your kids right now. They'll, They'll make it the next few minutes. Kids, you've done an amazing job this evening, by the way. Thank you. And maybe for those of you, as your heads are bowed, those of you who are part of family of faith, I'm going to ask you to do what I asked the first service to do. Several people gave their life this morning to Christ. And I started out by just saying, you know what, right now, if you're part of our family and you're a Christian, would you just start praying right now that God would do only what God can do, and that's to reach out right now with his spirit and to save those who need salvation. I can't save you. The worship team can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And if you this evening desire to finally have a relationship with God, I just want you to pray. I want you to just pray in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud, but say it within the mouth of your heart, if you will. Reach out to the Lord, draw near to him, he'll draw near to you and just pray this with me. Lord, I believe in you. I confess that you are God. And Lord, I want a relationship with you that only you can provide. I want your presence in my life. I don't want to be alone anymore. Lord, I need your forgiveness of sin. Lord, I need your provision. Lord, I need your presence. I want to sit with you. I want to stand with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you the way that you intended. Lord, recreate me. Make me born again that I would walk in the good works that you've prepared beforehand for me. 
Give me a new life. Give me new peace. Give me new understanding. Give me a new spirit. Lord, I receive you now. And if that was you this evening, I just want everyone, I said, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Just between you and the Lord, I just want you to look up at me, make eye contact, and I know that you made that prayer. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. Just take a moment. Look at me. All right, man. That's awesome. Praise God. Thank you. See you. Lord, thank you for those who've received you in salvation. I know there's probably more in the coming days and weeks and months. But today we rejoice that you're still safe. In Jesus' name, the church said. Would you give a hand to those who receive the Lord this evening? Now, these, these gals have prepared a song for you. This is, we call this a response song. I call it a response song in part because it's our, an opportunity for us to respond. And, and I don't know how many of you uh, know Jordan Dero, but it's great to have him. He's been a really good friend of mine. He got saved here at the church as a young man. And uh, his grandfather's a pastor and his parents are, are really great people in our church and we love him. But he came all the way from Oregon with his family. And he used to do Sunday night worship when we had a Sunday night worship team probably, man, I don't even know how long ago it was. But he was our worship guy. And now he does jujitsu. And his ears are all jacked up, and his ear things don't fit inside there anymore. So he's my bodyguard. Don't mess with him because <clears throat> he's, got, he's got the hands we need, right? Um, but we want to just sing this song. And so would you stand with me real quickly? We'll, we'll light candles here in just a moment. But we're going to sing this song first. Enjoy it and, and rejoice in the Lord for what he has done. But let's sing together, and then we'll participate in one last song, and we'll send you guys on your Merry Christmas way. 